Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Mosh, your host of Task Force X. What, we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and... Checkmate. Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ossinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is. While Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title in all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Mother... That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. Welcome back to episode 43 of the Task Force X podcast. As usual, I am your host, Aaron Brotherhead Moss. And we are finishing up finally with the final parts of the Janus Directive. We're going to look at Firestorm issue number... 87, just the first four pages, and then we're going to look at Captain Adam number 30, which is the, the official final issue of the Janus uh, Director, which we'll get to in just a few minutes here. But first, again, we are going to look at Firestorm 87. Firestorm 87 isn't labeled as part of the Janus Directive, and the fir- it's only got the first four pages that are part of the Janus Directive. And it occurs between pages 19 and 20 of the Suicide Squad number 30, which I covered last month. And again, while this isn't covered as part of the Janus Directive, it's not labeled as such, it's not in the the, uh, trade paperback, I'm including it because, well, basically, it has more time to the Janus Directive than the previous Firestorm issue 86 did. And it's got probably more than the Captain Adam issue, which I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. So... I'm including this even though the powers of E didn't include it in the trade paperback. It's not labeled as such. I'm considering this yeah, part 10 and a half of the Janus Directive. Uh, but before I get that far, before I forget any further, let's go ahead and introduce... The Janus Directive. An 11-part adventure from DC Comics starring Checkmate. Suicide Squad, Captain Adam, Project Peacemaker, The Manhunter, Firestorm, plus several others. So let's get started. As I stated moments ago, we're going to start with Chapter 10 and a half, as I'm calling it, of the Janus Directive, Firestorm number 87. I was going to have Chad join me once again for this episode, but seeing how it's got such a small tie-in, it's not an official part... Uh, Shag was busy. The lawyers couldn't make us meet up again. He's got some very good lawyers. Uh, it's me on my own again. So we're looking at Firestorm, the Nuclear Man 87. The cover date was July of 1989. To buy this on sale on the newsstand, it was released May the 16th of 1989. The cover price was $1. Editor was Dan Raspler. The title of this was called Freakstorm. Writer was John Oshender. Artist Tom Mandrake. Letter Duncan Andrews. Colorist Nancy Hulin, and the cover credits was Tom Mandrake. 
And again, that all came from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. And now for the synopsis, written by yours truly. Firestorm lands and dissolves a globe he's carrying that contains a lot of the participants from the Janus Directive. Bronze Tiger and the Duchess pet Cobra in the back of a van to take him into custody. After a flash in the sky, Captain Adam shows up and says that Dark was destroyed and the Janus Directive is over. Sarge Steel announces that the entire affair has been marked as top secret clearance and they are not to talk with anyone about it. Firestorm, being who he is now, asks, What if I choose to do otherwise? Still tells him that he'll put himself outside the law and they'll bring him down. Firestorm responds with, Mr. Steel, I am a force of nature and not subject to your laws. You cannot force me to submit to them. Captain Adam says that there are a few others that can force him. Firestorm basically says, Bring it on, bitch. Then flies away. Still tells him he doesn't like the sound of that. And Captain Adam responds that it appears Firestorm has been through some changes and has become a very dangerous individual. We then carry on with the Firestorm comic, which we're not going to cover here. Uh, Firestorm is tangled with the with Typhoon, a longtime Firestorm villain. And again, if you haven't read those issues, definitely check them out. But that's the synopsis. Now onto my thoughts. As usual, we'll start the cover. The cover of this one is me and Shag talked about last month. It's a very nice cover. We see sh- uh, we see Firestorm sitting on top of a gargoyle. He's got lightning blasting down at him. He's blasting back. It's a full figure of Firestorm. The new Firestorm, his hands are showing his uh, blasts, blasting energy or fire. It's something that we can't see. It's very dynamic. Very, It's a very great cover. I like when the lightning bolts that's hitting the building behind him. It's cutting through the Firestorm logo. And as we said last month, last month the Firestorm logo was a little jagged. A little, they're trying to settle into it. They're kind of getting their pace now with the Firestorm logo, the new one. It's different than what it used to be. I say Firestorm this is like a second appearance in the new Firestorm look. It's a great image. And like I say, I prefer the original Firestorm look. I'll say that, get that out front. The puffy sleeves, the just, it's iconic. This, for what they're going for, is a very good look. Again, John was trying to turn the book around, was trying to shake things up a little bit. And so he made Firestorm an elemental at this point. So being an elemental creature, the browns and yellows and red, it's just, it's a very nice look for Firestorm. I really like this, for this version of Firestorm. Again, not my favorite version of Firestorm, but I do like what they've got going on here. In fact, the Firestorm from the uh, Legends Tomorrow, actually I guess the Flash when he first showed up, he had the brown jacket on and just the way he was done up looked a little bit like this Firestorm as far as basic overall look. So it's a very nice look. This Firestorm is shown back up in the new DC Universe. Uh, the Brother Firestorm's there, plus there's a, a Soviet named Pozar. I think me and Shaq talked about a little bit this last month. So I'm just going to mention it briefly that like I say that this elemental look of Firestorm was shown back up in the DC Universe. Definitely look for it. Check it out. I think it was over in the uh, Doomsday Clock series. So check that out for more on Firestorm. Uh, the first page is the giant splash page. We see a bunch of look like soldiers. We can't make out anyone hardly. And above them is Firestorm holding a giant uh, black sphere. The title Freak Storms above the, st- the, the uh, sphere kind of broken up a little bit. Again, you can't make Firestorm out, but you can see enough to tell that it is Firestorm landing. Again, this is Tom Mandrake. Well, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I, I don't care for the darker looks for Firestorm. I like maybe more of a four-color hero. 
for what Tom, I'm sorry, what John's going for, I think Tom Mandrake's uh, doing a great job at it, and he's capturing the essence of this new, darker, elemental firestorm. So I think he's doing a great job of it. The next page, as I said, Firestorm resolves the shell, and he says the spheres are solved. You may all go now. And then we just cut away. Like I say, we see a checkmate knight. I love their uniform. I think I said that before. Uh, <laughs> so as Firestorm lands, he's like, you may all go now. Major Force like, flaming wise guy. Got half a mind to pop him. Bronze Tiger, and uh, like I said, Duchess is loading Cobra in the back of a van. Get in, Cobra. Got a cell and bell red with your name on it. Which means he may show up again later on in Task Force X. Hmm. And at the bottom of the panel, we get uh, Sarge Dill, the Checkmate Knight, Major Force, I believe that's Val, Volstock, and Blackthorn. She's in Shadows, can't quite tell. I think it's Blackthorn. We got Flush. And that's where Captain Adam shows up. That was the arc, as I talked about in the synopsis. Here we see him flying above. Uh, Vixen and Malgog, whatever his name is, and Babylon from Captain Adam. And again, we get a nice page of Captain Still as it talked about addressing the troops. Or Sarge Still, not Captain, Sarge Still addressing the troops. And here in the middle of the page, we get Punch and Julie. We see Project Peacemaker back there. Major Force, Firestorm, Shade, Nightshade. As he's announcing that everything's been talked secret. And I love the way Firestorm's like, hey, what if I don't choose to do so? And like I said, I just, this little dialogue, I covered all this in synopsis because it was just a great dialogue. We're going to cover it again a little bit. And he's like, well, if I don't want to. And Steel's like, well, we're going to have to take you out. And he's like, Mr. Steel, I'm a force of nature, not subject to your laws. You cannot force me to submit to them. And like, it's just this cool, collected look on Firestorm's face. It's just matter of fact, me telling him, you know, you can't force me not to say anything if I don't want to. And the captain Adam's like, if he can't, others can. And we think so, it was invited to try. As Firestorm just flies off, it's just like they're not worth his notice. And as I talked about in the synopsis, still, and Captain Adam discuss how Firestorm's changed. He's been very dangerous. And only Captain Adam is the one that's discussing this with Still, because Captain Adam, as I've talked about previously, I think I've talked about previously, has met up with Firestorm back in pre-crisis as me and Jay Jones covered over on the DC Comics Presents podcast here a while back. That was a great show. Definitely check it out. It's, it's finishing up now, but it was a great show. Anyways, uh, so Captain Adam was also a nuclear hero, Firestorm's nuclear hero. Again, as me and, she, me and uh, Jay kind of argued back and forth over on that DC Comics Presents show. But they're both nuclear heroes. They both have a, a similar, I don't know origin, but they're both, both tied together and that's how you guys, I'm using the wrong words, but they've got a history. That's the word I'm looking for. They've got a history together. So I do like how, you know, Captain Adam's notice he's changed and he's making a comment here. And again, like I say, this, even though this issue, issue isn't really marked as a part of the jazz directive, as I've talked about, it has much more of a tie-in, in my opinion, than the previous issue. Because the previous issue, again, we could have done without and we would have lost him for the jazz directive. This kind of, again, for the fire, for the jazz directive as a whole, it doesn't really add much. But as a Firestorm fan, and which I am, it gives us a lot more clear indication of who this Firestorm is. What is he got going on? He's a lot more in your face, a lot more uh, telling like it is, if you will. He's just, you know what, I'm Firestorm, and I'm nature. 
a force of nature. You can't. Your laws mean nothing to me, human. <laughs> it's just I, I love the dialogue there. It's just John Austin did a great job with the dialogue. And anyway, I'm not going to cover the rest of the book. As I said, he we go back over to Vandermeer and we deal with uh, Typhoon, Lorraine Riley. Some great stuff for Firestorm fans. Definitely check it out if you're a fan of Firestorm and Firehawk. Uh, Firehawk shows up in this book. And as a certain irredeemable one would say, she is hot. But that's about it. That's all I really got to say about the Firestorm part of the Janus Directive. Firestorm kind of flies in, helps out a little bit, flies out, uh, makes a little threat, and he's gone from the book. So we went... Uh, not much to say about it. I, I, I love the artwork for what it is. Uh, I think John Austin did a great job in the writing. Overall, a fantastic job. I wish it would have been included, at least those four pages in the trade paperback. I think it's, even though it doesn't really do a whole lot, it does give a little bit more extra oomph to it, I think. But, what are you going to do? They didn't include it. They don't, they didn't mark it as part of the Jazz Directive. Even though, like I say, it's got just as much, if not more, than 80, issue 86 did. And in my opinion, more than the issue of Captain Adam we're going to look at in a few minutes. But speaking of Captain Adam and looking at it, we're going to take a quick break. I know it's only been about 13, 15 minutes or so. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to play some promos, and we'll be right back with Captain Adam. We'll be back after this break. Don't touch that dial, for goodness sake. <laughs> Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman they make a super fair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... We let things pile up in the DVR, we add them to our queues, we wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Here we go, back to the show. That's the fact, so now you know. And here we go with the final part of the Janus Directive, Captain Adam number 30. Cover date, June 1989. The on-sale date was May the 2nd of 1989. Cover price was $1, edited by Dennis O'Neill. The title of this issue was entitled, Troubles in Paradise. Written by Carrie Bates and Greg Wiseman. Penciled by Raphael Kenyon. I'm messing that name up. Raphael Kenyon. Inca Romeo Tagal. Letter, Carrie Spiegel. McCarthy, colors Dean Giangelo, and the cover is done by Pat Broderick. Reprinted in Suicide Squad, the Janus Directive trade paperback, which came out in 2016, which I've said a couple of times already that I've uh, actually got this trade paperback. 
comments. This again, this is all from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, along with the synopsis I'm about ready to read. Comments, this is uh, The Jazz Instructive Part 11, and this story is continued from Suicide Squad number 30. And again, the synopsis. Captain Adam visits the Just League Paris Embassy, where a long-handed man tells him that a black man has been active in the Florida Keys. Captain Adam's family is vacationing there, so he joins him as an added protection. While scuba diving, Adam and his son, Randy, are captured by Black Manta. They are pitted against a machine that Black Manta recovered from the alien invasion. Captain Adam makes short work of the machine and Black Manta. He then takes Randy back to their boat to continue their vacation. Again, that is from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Thank you, Mike. And as you notice, I didn't say much of anything. Actually, I didn't say anything about the Jazz Directive. We'll get into that in just a moment here. Let's go ahead and start as I normally do with the cover. They cover this one, again, I think Janice Directive related. We get Captain Adam fighting Black Manta, who is a star of the recent, well, star of, but starred in the recent Aquaman movie, came out last month. I've liked the design of him. I think he's got a cool design. I think the movie did justice to him for what I've seen so far. Again, I am recording this before I've actually seen the Aquaman movie, but the trailers that I've seen, he looks really awesome. Uh, again, we have our nice trade dress on the left-hand side. Says the Jazz Directive Part 1111. We get the number 11 on there. Uh, again, I like this cover. It's not so much a Jazz Directive cover, much like the Firestorm one last month, other than the trade dress, but it is a nice Captain Adam cover. In fact, this is a nicer cover than the Firestorm one. It's very action oriented. We can see what's going on. We can tell that Captain Adam's fighting Black Manta, which is, again, as we're going to find out, the main crux of this book. So I, I really like this cover. Again, I was buying the book at this time, I was a fan of Captain Adam. So, uh, very nice. Uh, we start our story out. We get Captain Adam and Nightshade talking. Again, Nightshade, as Shag would say, is hot. We get this nice little splash page of them standing under a tree holding hands. And basically, Nightshade saying that she needs to get her from the life. Again, I like this scene here between Nightshade and Captain Adam because it basically, as I've talked about before, they first appeared together back in the, uh, I think it was the Captain Adam or the Lolita book from Charlton. She showed up and hit the books. They had a thing back then. And so when they brought Captain Adam and Nightshade over to the DC universe, they kind of tried to pit that into motion a little bit here. So I like that they're referencing how they're trying to make something work, but she wants out of the life. Captain Adam's a soldier. He can't get out of it, so... And she, they, they, she mentions here how uh, they're both junkies. The latest maneuver, the jazz structure, which is symptomatic. She's tired of being used by people. And so they, he flies off. Captain Adam flies off and leaves her. She's saying that, you know, she'll come back to him and she can never free herself for the life and, and, and do better for herself. Uh, the next page, page three, we get... Uh, I forget her name, Captain Adam's daughter. Uh, he, she's got a hold of the Captain Adam project, Eyes Only. Basically, it has all Captain Adam's history in there. Real quick, for those who aren't familiar with Captain Adam, in the current DC Universe, Captain Adam was, if I'm not mistaken, he was framed for a crime. Uh, Nathaniel Adam was framed for a, for a crime. To get off, he volunteered to undergo an experiment. They had this glob of silver substance that they were going to try to use as a shield. They pet him in the middle of the shield and set off a nuclear bomb. Boom, he disappeared. They assumed he died. 20 years later, which was in modern times, he popped out 
asked Captain Adam. Uh, the government worked up a whole backstory for him, which is kind of his pre-crisis Charlton origin that he uses his backstory. And a lot of the Charlton stories they've, they've used as part of his backstory. So he's lied to everyone about it, about his past, his daughter, his son, and people finding out the truth about him a little bit of time. And that's where this page here, it's kind of the subplot that's right in the Captain Adam book, his daughter finding out more about Captain Adam, the entire of all the lies and the treachery dealing with government agents. Because her, her real dad, Captain Adam, is part of the government, part of the lies and all that. Her stepdad is General Ealing, part of the cover-up, part of the lies. So she's just kind of tired of the whole rigmarole. Uh, the next page, actually the top half of the page, is the last part of the Suicide Squad, or I'm sorry, the part of the Janus Directive, where at Bell Rev, we get Captain Amanda Waller reading a letter from General Ealing, basically saying that, let me read this real quick, Amanda Waller from General Ealing, uh, Dearest Wall, congratulations on A, the dissolution of your precious Task Force Acts, and B, your devotion to the probationary squad leader. You must be bushed. Because again, President Bush is the one that ordered all that, so a little nip at her. And again, she, uh, I'm going to say real quick that I love the way Amanda's drawn here. This is very much Amanda Waller. And so she's trying to get a hold of Ealing. And his assistant, Allard, tells him that he's been rewarded. He's on a vacation with his family. He's going to be in commuter for, for hours. And Amanda's just upset. She's, she's annoyed that Ealing was gloating about what happened with her. And so she's trying to get her payback. But again, it's only... Two pages deals with the Janus Directive. Actually, not even that. So I say this has less than the Firestorm, but it's still marked as part of the Janus Directive tie-in. I, I think they, they could have left this off and just had this as a throwaway line in the book. Or, I, I don't know. It, it, but while I've enjoyed the, the Janus Directive, I think it would have worked bar, better as a 10-part if this is all we're going to have. For the Janus Directive, because I said this is all that refers to the Janus Directive. The rest of it, we get Ealing with his uh, stepson and stepdaughter and her uh, boyfriend or fiance. Are they married yet? I'm trying to see. I think they're maybe, maybe they are married. Uh, this black guy named Jeff, who apparently we find out in the story, was friends of uh, Nathaniel Adam, who is Peggy. That's the, the girl's name from earlier. Captain Adam's daughter. He was Peggy's godfather. But again, after Adam died, Ealing didn't have Captain Adam's friends around very much. So Jeff didn't grow up around her. Next time he came back around, after Captain Adam came back to, to life, if you will, in quotes, she was a grown woman. And again, she's an attractive woman. So they, they hooked up and things went where they will. Again, we get a brief appearance here of the elongated man. Part of the Just League Europe headquarters. Uh, Captain Adams checking in with him. We find out Captain Adams is the team leader. Uh, again, this is just kind of a throwaway line from the, or not throwaway line, but scene from the Just League International. We find out that Ralph says that Black Manta has been seen in the Florida Keys. Captain Adams says that's where his kids are vacationing. And Ralph's like, smells like trouble. Manta killed Aquaman's son. And again, I. <sighs> Well, I, I like what the writers normally do with this book. I think that dialogue there is a little clunky. 
don't know if that was Kerry Bates or Greg Weiss. I don't know how this was broke down, but throwing in again the whole Manta Kill Aquaman Sun is just to let people that didn't know about that in to the the past. That there was a past between Aquaman and Black Manta. Black Manta's killed a Just Like Your Son before. But just the way Ralph delivers, it's kind of odd. He's in there, well, smell like trouble. Manta killed Aquaman's son. It's, and what's that got to do with anything? Manta's a bad guy anyways. It wouldn't be good. I, I don't... That line's just... I don't know. It's very clunky and very forced, in my opinion. And, you know, I'm not going to cover the rest of this book because it has no tie-in to the Janus Directive. I was going to cover the book. It's got some interesting concepts. Uh, there's some... Captain Adam, again, as I mentioned, trying to figure out about his problem with his buddy Jeff dating his daughter, whether it's the fact that Jeff's black or just the fact that Jeff is so much older than his daughter. But, again, this is an interesting book. I may have to check and see if Jay Jones has covered this one yet over on his uh, Silver and Gold podcast where he talks about Captain Adam. But it's a really good book. Definitely check out this series. But as far as the Janet Directive goes, that's all I really got to say about this. It's just, yeah, it's just... Uh, Nightshade complaining about how she's tired of being used, the jazz directive part of that. And then these four panels of Amanda Waller getting the letter from Geraldine kind of rubbing what's happened with her. It just, I don't know, it just, it, it could have been left off, is all I'm saying. Uh, again, I do love, as I was going to say earlier, I do love the fact that the cover credit was Pat Broderick. Pat Broderick, if you don't know, started out on Firestorm. We didn't start out on Firestorm. He helped create Firestorm. was on the first part of the Firestorm book. After he left, Raphael Kanyanin, he came on and he penciled that book for a while. And that was actually his first start in DC Comics was Firestorm. So I, I love the artwork in here because, again, they're both old Firestorm artists. As I said before, I love Firestorm, so... Uh, what more can I say? It's a great book. And it's kind of like the last issue of Fire, the, the Firestorm issue that me and Shag talked about. It's a great Captain Adam book, but a horrible jazz to tie in because it doesn't tie in very much. It's a couple of pages, a couple of scenes, actually, that could have been left out. Again, I know I'm complaining about it just because, again, the book, the artwork in this book is gorgeous. The dialogue and the writing, except for that, that whole elongated man scene, is really good writing. So, the complaint about the only thing I got to complain about is nitpicks about how this doesn't really tie into the whole Janice Director storyline. It gave me a chance to read Captain Adam. I mean, I've got the books, I could have read it anyways, but it made me read it. And I don't have time to read books for fun for the most part, so it gave me a chance to read this, but. Other than that, I don't have much more to say about it. Uh, great artwork, really good writing, not a hell of a lot tying to the Jazz Directive. But I guess that's going to do it for this uh, book, and that ties up the Jazz Directive. Kind of wish, like I said, I've said it a couple of times, I'll say it one last time, I kind of wish this wasn't part of the Jazz Directive. Last issue would have tied it up so much nicer. nicer. This this couple pages here, a couple pages in Firestorm leaves me kind of eh. But what more can I say? Uh, give me just a minute. I'll be right back with a special treat for you guys. We'll be back with much more fun. Now don't you change that channel, son. 
Booster? Hey, bro. Gah! Bats! Booster! Together! Wow, well, this is great. This is just awesome. You never said you and Booster were friends. <laughs> it never came up. A consummate professional like you, friends with a dilettante like Booster? You're both my friends, okay? You're more of a work friend, and Booster is more of a fun friend. What's more fun than fighting crime? Ooh, he's got you there. Hi, this is FKA Jason's son again. I just wanted to take another minute of your time to tell you about his podcast, Silver and Gold. He and his buddy Roy Charlemagne Clary celebrate the DC Comics characters Booster Gold and Captain Adam, issue by issue, and blah, 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 blah. Listen, the real reason you want to listen to the Silver and Gold is their Throwback Thursday episodes, because I'm the star of those shows. Dad and I review the Silver Age Captain Adam stories published by Charlton Comics in the 1960s. You can find the Silver and Gold podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also follow Dad's Splitting Adam's blog at CaptainAdamBlog.com. We all know the real reason you'll be tuning in is to hear me criticize, uh, I mean, celebrate the Silver Age Captain Adam in our Throwback Thursday episodes. I can't believe Dad roped me into this. Searching for silver and gold If you're alone When you grow old You'll never find comfort in silver and gold Yo, Joe! We'll fight for freedom Wherever there's trouble G.I. Joe is there G.I. Joe is G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro, fighting to save the day. He never gives up, he's always there, fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe G.I. Joe is there. Attention, Joes, this is General Hawk. I have an important mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, A Real American Hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to gijoe.headspeaks.com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google+, and Twitter. All under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Dismissed. Now we know! And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is a proud member of the headcast family. The world he never gives up, he'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe! And I'm back with what I hope is a special presentation. Way back in the early episodes of the show, I think episode 8 was the last one I did, I was covering the Brave and the Bold, the early appearances of the original Suicide Squad. I kind of gave them up for the time being because, well, again, my heart wasn't in it. As uh, the Irredeemable Shag says, find your joy. I wasn't finding finding joy in those. So I decided to move off the regular series. 
you know what? This was such a short episode. We didn't really get much of any Suicide Squad in it. So, for your listening pleasure, hopefully, I'm going to bring you Brave and the Bold number 38, where I left off at. The writer of this issue was Robert Kennedy, the writer and editor. The pencil was Ross Andrew. The ink was Mike Esposito. And if this was a long box, Chris had to present some Spanish music there. But it's not so old. Uh, this issue was 10 cents for two stories, 25 pages altogether. The cover date was October, November of 1961. The on sale date was August the 29th of 1961. As far as I was born, kids, that's old. This first story was called Matter of Dinosaurs. This was a 15-page story. The synopsis, while sightseeing atop the Statue of Liberty, the Suicide Squad spots a giant pterodactyl. The creature attempts to steal the statue, but is fought off by the squad. The team pursues the dinosaur in a mysterious cloud that accompanies it. It's a hard word. Rick pilots a plane into the cloud, which is really a camouflaged alien spacecraft. The master of the ship orders his dinosaurs to attack the squad, but they are able to escape, leaving an armed nuclear device aboard, which destroys the ship. And now for my thoughts. Uh, the cover of this, we got our little Brave and Bold logo. It says, presents Task Force X, Suicide Squad. Inside an anomalous cloud lurks the Suicide Squad's most startling opponent, Master of the Dinosaurs. And we see the Suicide Squad atop the Statue of Liberty, fighting on a pterodactyl. Uh, for the time, this is a pretty good cover. It's very action-packed, very action-oriented. We had a giant pterodactyl. We got our team here. Two of the members are shooting at it. Rick is holding on to Karen, trying to pull her up back onto the statue. Again, it's a very good cover. It very much shows what's going on in the story. Uh, the artwork's not the best artwork, but for what it is, it's not bad. Uh, moving on to the actual story itself. Again, we get the cover pretty much here on the first page. We see the Suicide Squad on top of the uh, Statue of Liberty. Instead of Rick pulling Karen up, all four of them on top of the Statue of Liberty's head. Firing a pterodactyl. I've never been to New York. I've never seen the actual Statue, Statue of Liberty. But I don't think they're in scale. I think that uh, the head's much larger. Because according to this, the... Uh, Task Force X members are the same size as Lady Liberty's head. I think people actually fit inside her head, so again, it's not to scale. But again, this isn't actually part of the story. This is just as they used to do back then, just a uh, an intro, if you will, show what's going to happen in the story. Again, this was again from 1961, so again, it's very uh, the story is very not caption heavy, but very dialogue heavy. Very much, you know, we get the, it tells us what's going on. In an isolated corner, Mission X's secret grounds, the famed Suicide Squad watches its leader, Colonel Rick Flagg, as, and then we get Karen Gray saying, smile for the camera, Rick. World Photo Play will pay a good sum to our favorite charity for Cannon's shots of the Suicide Squad does on its day off. What's we'll with you as a falconeer? Okay, Karen, but I trained a gold eagle to hunt, not a falcon. Again, as a team deals with the photo shoot and the eagle flies off to capture a wild duck <laughs> like here at the last pa- pa- panel on this page uh, the bird releases the wild duck to its very haunts and Rick's saying the sport of falconry is more than 3,500 years old by dying when nothing new has really been added, added to the sport but fate is a startling surprise for the suicide squad and then we have Kara taking shots of Doc Evans' hobby which is visiting the famous statues on his day off 
And again, they're again the, the the this is what we saw on the cover and the first page. Well, starting out, we see the Suicide Squad on top of the Statue of Liberty. Okay, at first I was going to say I thought maybe Karen was on the outside, but other inside the crown. And again, I don't know if this is a life size or not life size, but to scale. They're smaller than they were on the cover, at least, but I don't know. Again, I've never been actually to the Statue of Liberty, but I would think the Statue of Liberty's head's much bigger than what it shows here. But they're all up here taking their picture, and all of a sudden now this guy comes a pterodactyl, as I talked about. Uh, they do a little fighting. Uh, let me see here real quick. So they bring out their, their cartridge belts. They throw some fragmentation grenades at the creature, kind of scare it off. It flies up. As it comes back around, a jet, a U.S. Air Force jet comes flying in. The bird captures it, takes off with it, and it goes into a huge cloud. And Rick's going to contact Mission X headquarters on his wrist radio. Very 1961 thing, I think. I don't know. And the clouds drift away at an astonishing speed. Considering there's no wind. So Rick calls in. They send a helicopter to pick up the team. The team goes and lands, and they get ready to uh, go after this cloud. And again, we get the end of part one. Part two continues on the third page following. We get some advertisements. And again, I don't normally talk too much about the ads in my show, but I'm going to mention this one. One of the pages here is for Showcase Presents The Atom. Again, one of my favorite characters. So again, I do have to mention this was advertising The Atom's first appearance. I love that character. Wish I went around the time to read it. But anyways, uh, the third page of ads is a, a message from Otto the Robots. And again, this is a public service announcement. Public Service Corporation with the National Social Welfare Assembly. Again, back in the day, comics were considered, in quotes, bad for kids. So they kind of throw these PSAs, if you will, in here. This one here is... Oh, I guess, okay, so I guess the dream is Bobby is having a dream about computers. Now he's saying that a machine could never, a machine could never, a machine could never paint a picture or make sick people well. And how, you know... People can't rely on machines. They have to get a good diploma, good, good education. Looking back at this, what, 40, 50 years later, kind of laugh. At, well, machines can do a lot of that nowadays, so I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, move on to part two of the story. Again, back in the day, these stories, even though it was only 15 pages, it was broken up in two or three parts. Uh, the first part, I'll comment on that real quick since I'm there. Again, for the time, the artwork's decent. I've got no complaints about the artwork. The writing on it for 1961's been pretty good. It's not as bad as the first few chapters of this were so far. Rick hasn't gone off about carrying on. They, they kind of let that go a little bit, looks like. Still time for it to come up in the book. We'll see. But, again, not bad so far starting off. Again, so far in the first, uh, how many pages is this? Nine, pa eight pages, it looks like. The biggest thing I enjoy is uh, the cover of Showcase with the Atom in it. <laughs> but moving on to the second part, uh, Master of the Dinosaurs. We get Rick and Jess and the, uh, Karen and the whole squad getting ready to take off. Uh, we get... This, let me see who was real. An aide pulls up to the general's, an aide skids up to the general's side. Sir, interceptor command reports interceptor patrol plane searching for the cloud. Cannot be contacted and are presumed missing. Shouldn't you stop the suicide squad? And the general's like, no, now more than ever, this is their mission. 
Because again, this is what they do. So the suicide squads in their jet, their their lab, if you will, flying lab as they refer to it, as they're looking for the pterodactyl or the cloud, uh, they see a well, and someone, you see, there she blows. Like this is the first time I've ever seen a well surface. Suddenly, the pterodactyl flies down, picks up this giant whale. So to tell you what size this pterodactyl is, like I said, the thing caught the fish like a trained falcon catches a pigeon. Let's out of the water. Never thought we'd be see, trying to save a whale from a flying dinosaur. Radio fire level one, Karen. Radio one, Rick. So again, they say shoot the pterodactyl. It causes it to drop the whale. The cloud's moving on. And next thing we see... We get a couple of pterodactyls attacking this uh, lighthouse. They're tearing it out of the ground, flying off with it. And then again, they fly up into the cloud. The squad flies in after them, of course. And they land inside this giant ship where we see uh, a ship, some buildings, cars. It looks like they got tags or something on them. I don't know if it's price tags or name tags. What it is. But, again, they're inside a large ship that's using the cloud as cover. And inside the ship is some giant humanoid lizard-looking creatures. And, again, because, again, as I said earlier, these paradoxes are huge because one of them picked up a whale. And these are like little birds to these giant lizard men. Or lizard, lizard man. I say man, it's only one so far that we can see. And, again, as I said, he's using Earth as the hunting grounds. And again, we get to the end of part two. Again, not a bad part of the story so far. Again, it's it's very that the artwork is very action oriented. We get these nice shots of these pterodactyls, again tearing this uh, lighthouse from the ground. Before that, nice shot of the well. Not much. Like I said this artwork. Again, for the time, it's not fantastic artwork. I'm not gonna. Oh my god! But it's it's good artwork for the time. It's, it's very good. I keep saying for the time, I mean, I'm comparing it to the stuff nowadays. Again, artwork has changed. has gotten a lot more, in quotes, sophisticated. Uh, a lot better, in my opinion. But if I was buying books, uh, the artwork on this wouldn't turn me off. And again, the story-wise, uh, we get the Suicide Squad, and they're fighting huge invaders from another planet, very much in the Suicide Squad's uh, wheelhouse, if you will. <laughs> And then we get to our third part of the story, the Master of the Dinosaurs. Uh, the giant hand throws the lighthouse of the Suicide Squad plane. They're able to duck out of the way. The creature opens a ruthless grin and starts whistling. The pterodactyls attack. Again, it's just the two pterodactyls. They attack the uh, Suicide Squad's jet. The Suicide Squad members parachute out of the way just in time. As the pterodactyls pick up the Task Force X plan takes it to the giant green alien, and it looks like as they they pair they uh their ejection sheet shoots them out of the plane, it shoots them out of the cloud bank, and they uh, go floating towards land outside the cloud. And I'm just looking here real quick. And apparently, at some point, the uh. Oh, there it is. That page almost skipped. Didn't really skip, but the last panel here. Uh, Rick says he's turning the nuclear time bomb to fire. 
And that's why they ejected. They got out of the ship. And again, Rick's saying that we'll never get to shelter below in time. This is in the suicide squad. But suddenly the cloud starts flying off into space. Out of harm's reach, the uh, bomb inside the ship explodes, which causes the alien ship to explode. And Karen's like, I don't know whether I'm shooting from the cold or how close to the escape we had. Another mission X is over. That's all that matters. The explosion will bring rec- recon planes here, so it shouldn't be long before we picked up. The end. So again, it's not a bad story. This is a 15-page story. We didn't get anything going on about how the mission must continue. We must survive no matter what. The whole love thing with Rick and Karen and everyone else falling in love with Karen didn't really come into play. So this is, well, not a fantastic story. This, in my opinion, is better than what I've gotten so far. So, again, I don't have a lot to say about this story. Serviceable artwork, good storyline. It didn't have any of the annoying hang-ups that some of the other ones have had. So, again, very, very entertaining. If I was a young kid back then picking up comics, I may have picked this up and may have wanted to check out the next issue. Well, that's it for that story. Let's go and move on to the next story in here. The next story... It's called The Menace of the Mirage People. It's a 10-page story. Again, the synopsis on this one is while traveling in the desert, the Suicide Squad sees a mirage of an oasis. However, when they expect it to disappear, it does not. The team is soon trapped by an alien mirage maker who has come to test them. If they fail the test, he will unleash chaos in the world with his mirages. The squad is confused by his mirages and is forced to battle a mirage suicide squad. However, they quickly realize they are not mirages, but their fellow teammates. Having covered the alien's trick, the squad is released, and the aliens leave Earth. Now into the story itself. Again, the the again, if this was a full page story or full book story, it'd be the cover, but it's the, the intro to the story, or whatever. We get three the images of three men, if you will, bald head, smiling, no pupils. Holding the Suicide Squad in their it's their their hand, whatever it is, little th- box tells what's going to happen. How real is real? How false is false? Think you can tell the difference between hot and cold, dry and wet? The Suicide Squad thought it could until it was faced with the menace of the Mirage people. Again, a lot of stories back at this time would ask a question or give a little blurb of what's going to happen. So again, it's very nice uh, keeping with the times. We move on. As I talked about, the Task Force X team is in the desert. Uh, they see an oasis, which they think is just a mirage. Rick's like, watch the mirage vanish right under our horse's hooves. The moment we reach it, Karen. As they go running up, the mirage doesn't disappear, and they ran into water. Inside the water, they see some fantastic creatures, as they call them. Like five or six men walking in the water they've had a, a helmets over Karen's head so she can breathe and again they see several different aliens so he knows that one of them's real some are mirage he doesn't know which one's which but the, these alien mirage creatures whatever you all call them pet helmets on the rest of the suicide squad members head so they can breathe so they don't die uh, they later wake up in chairs facing a single creature that's blurring. Looks like there's three of them. And again, as uh, villains and quotes do, he starts bragging, ah, ha, ha, or he, 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 
I told my brother Mirage Makers of our in-dimensional world that the famed Invincible Suicide Squad would be laboratory mice in my hands. Uh, one of the squad members, I'm assuming it's Rick, uh, jumps at the, uh, yeah, Rick hurls himself at the Tormentors. You know, uh, you can tell your brother Mirage Makers this mouse has fists. And again, they vanish because he gets to Mirage. Hee <laughs> hee, and it's a bit of a handicap to an earthly mouse when it cannot tell the difference between the real and the Mirage. Now watch the television screen, and you will see that my as you will see the hack my mirage can cause as I teleport them around the world. And so again, so we get people opening up doors in nowhere or ravines, a car that thinks the light's green when it's actually red, so he gets sideswiped by another car. A pilot thinks he lands on air on an airfield when he lands in the trees. So he's causing much destruction and mayhem on Earth using their, their mirage powers. People see things aren't really there. And Karen's like, we captured this for a reason. What is it? We'll do anything. Pay any price. To stop the sense of chaos in the world. He I knew only the Suicide Squad would say that. That's why I did capture you. And only you. And this is my price. You will be pitted against four mirage people in a life and death struggle. If you win, we will go back to our other dimensional world. If you lose, not only your doom, but your world will be sealed. But first, a preliminary trial, a rehearsal. Find your way out of here. That's all. Just find your way out of here. <laughs> and they're trapped by a bunch of mirrors. And Rick opens one door and a lion jumps out at them. As they start shooting at the lion, they realize it was only a mirage. And so, as they go... Out of the room, they find some quicksand, but again, they don't know if it's a real or mirage. Like, well, the line was a mirage. Well, maybe this one's real. And Rick tries to jump across the ravine along with the rest of the Suicide Squad. But again, the mirage kind of fooled them, and they landed into the middle of the, the uh, a pit. The, the uh, quicksand turns into fire and then ice, and then they're falling. And they finally land at the feet of the mirage guy. Now you're in addition to battle against the Mirage people. You may use your weapons against them, for they will use theirs against you. To hesitate means death. But if one of them, and one of you loses, the world doom is all of you and the world is sealed. <laughs> Here they are. And defeat them if you can. And they're facing against the Suicide Squad, identical duplicates of themselves. And he's like, we know they're the Mirage, and we're real, so we shouldn't have any trouble fighting them. And then they're realizing, well, women, are you the real? Or are you, we've been separated from the rest of the group. Sorry, are you the real? You know, they're asking, we get a, who is this? Jess is like, are you, are you the real doc? Are you a mirage? I can't take a chance. I need to shoot you. And Doc's just sitting there staring, not saying anything. Then we get Karen facing against a Rick. And again, Rick's standing there, not saying anything. She, she doesn't know if he's somehow being stopped or if he's a mirage so she gives him a hug and kind of find out that the these teammates were fighting against one another then not attacking each other means they won the battle I thought to deceive you first by showing you the spear suicide squad but never using them then confronting you with real members I made mute so you would think they're mirages how could you tell the difference and Karen's like our hearts told us all we have to do is look in the eyes of the men we've shared our life and death with on every mission. See our real friends. You cannot invent that look. As long as humans love and respect each other, you won for now, Suicide Squad. But I'll be back with cutting mirages that will deceive even you. 
and the mirage is gone. And Rick's like, or Karen's like, he's gone. Was it all a mirage? And Rick's like, if it was, explain what happened. Our horses are doing over there. And again, was this incredible adventure of the Suicide Squad a mirage or real? Send your answers on a card to Suicide Squad Magazine, National Comics, 575 Lex Avenue, New York, 22, New York. So again, it was a good story. Again, the artwork was decent for the time, about the same as the first story. Same artist to be expected. The I like this story, I think, a little better than the first story with the pterodactyls. Uh, both were, like I say, both were good stories. Neither one of them relied on the, the trope that they were using for a while of our love must be keep a secret and we must carry on. That kind of got kind of old for me. While not fantastic stories, I've read a lot worse. So there's a lot of ads in here for different things. Back in the day, Army Men and uh, all male He-Men. <laughs> uh, selling catalogs and stuff. I've actually done that. I don't think it was this is Wallace Brown. I don't think I did it through them. But I have sold catalog or cards through one of these mail-over things before. But... <laughs> But again, overall, not a bad story. Uh, again, it's not fantastic. I've said it before, I'll say it again, but a lot better than I expected it to be. So maybe with, with the hopes of this story being a good story, maybe I'll do the 39, issue 39 of uh, Brave and the Bold sooner than I've done these. But anyways, that's going to do it for this month. We're in about an hour or so. So thank you very much for your time. Again, a belated Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all my listeners out there. Hope you guys are enjoying the show. Let me know what you think. If you want to give me a, a late Christmas present, you can. Go ahead and leave me some reviews on I, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I think it's called now, or Stitcher. Send me an email. Let me know what you guys think about the show. I'm enjoying. I enjoy hearing from you guys. wonder what you guys think I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. Let me know what you think. But I guess that's going to do it for this time. Until next episode... Squadmates, dismissed. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just out crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried, Boomer, but... Anyways, my home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under Headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at taskforcex. And also on Google+, Plus, you can look for Task Force X under people and pages. Uh, all titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. 
Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother... <laughs> well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. Yeah! Hey!